0: You're tuning in to Slightly Balanced, hosted by Tia and Petey. This show is all about all things positivity, business, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mental health. We encourage you to listen if you are looking for a relatable community that will cheer you on in life.
1: This episode is sponsored in part by The Barn at Aspen Acres, inviting you to unite, grow, and celebrate together. And by... Blue Spruce Coffee Truck, a mobile coffee delivery service available to pour you some love.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Slightly Balanced. Um, Today, we have three really awesome guests here to talk about the medical world and the world wide web. Um, First off is my husband, Dan, Dr. Behrens, as some people call him. (laughs) Can you give us a little bit of insight about, um, where you did school, um, the patients that you serve and, um, kind of just a little bit more about your, your everyday job.
1: Well, I'm a family medicine physician in Spearfish. I take care of people, um, newborns just out of the hospital, um, to even sometimes some hospice things. So kind of, uh. Cradle to the grave, as they say. And uh, so I started off with undergrad in Iowa State, uh, Des Moines University. I did my med school and I did my residency in Rapid City. um, Family medicine practice there.
0: Next up, we have Wes. Um, He's a general surgeon here in Spearfish, and he's going to bring a really cool perspective to um, this little episode here.
2: Hi, so I'm uh, Wes Badger. I um I'm a general surgeon here in Spearfish. I did my um undergrad at the University of Louisville in uh Kentucky and stayed there for med school and then went to La Crosse, Wisconsin for general surgery residency. Um, you know, general surgery is kind of a broad range of practice. Uh we, we see, you know, pediatric to geriatric patients. Um, I think one of the best definitions of general surgery that I've that I've ever heard was that is is really the surgery of the skin and its contents. So we we have kind of a broad range of practice. So,
0: How many years of school did you go through?
2: Um, you know, four years of undergrad, four years of med school, uh, five years of residency.
0: And I should go back and ask Dan too. You went four years of undergrad, four years of medical, and the three years of residency. And then um, last, but definitely not least, one of my best friends, (laughs) Phoebe Breed. Um, She is a nurse practitioner here in Spearfish. That's me.
3: (laughs) So I work in a dual role. I work in both an urgent care setting and in a geriatric palliative care team where we provide care to our aging and those living with chronic disease in long-term care, assisted livings in their homes and in the clinic. So we try to provide care as close to home for them as possible. I went to nursing school at Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota. And then I worked in La Crosse, Wisconsin as a nurse for six years, um, both on a post-surgical unit and in the operating room. And during that time, I went back to school And completed a four-year degree, um, a doctorate of nursing practice degree to become a nurse practitioner. So I'm a certified family nurse practitioner, which means I can care for those from conception to death, just like Dan said, cradle to grave. And so you went a total of
0: eight, nine? So I did
3: four
4: years of undergrad and four years of um, grad school. Okay, cool. Cool. Let me just jump on in here. Sorry. Hi, Well, um, oh, hey, hey. Um, just the breast over here amongst a lot of doctors and smart people. Um, Not me. <laughs> stay at home wine drinker today. <laughs> so I say we just get dive right on in. Um, our theme for February is the World Wide Web and how it relates to people. So you guys have a very special segment with a panel of doctors and how the internet has affected their practice. So uh, we're just kind of going to jump into a few questions here and open it to conversation. So um, one thing we didn't cover, in our last phase of interviews was remote monitoring. So do you guys want to touch a little bit on that? Um, what it is, how it affects your guys' patient relationship um, and the pros and cons, I guess, to it and with your patients.
1: So a lot of remote monitoring that I see is is with uh, pacemakers um, and, uh, and then I get a lot of INRs from home monitoring as well, that's a, that's an anticoagulation lab. Um, do you have anything else, Phoebe?
3: I think in a way I do remote monitoring with our residents that are in nursing homes. Um, our nursing staff there gather information for us at, even if we're not in the facility to help guide our care of those residents. But otherwise, I would say the largest one is usually anticoagulation blood thinners.
4: Um, So a long remote monitoring. Um, I know this isn't directly on that line. Um, But Wes, I do want to talk to you. You were talking a little bit about um, robotics earlier and how that pertains to surgery. So I do kind of want to open it up to that um, and kind of talk to our listeners about that, because there were some common misconceptions, um, Phoebe, that you you had brought up earlier. So I I would like to touch on that a little bit
2: yeah so it's an it's an interesting topic um, and it's it's somewhat new to the world of general surgery um, so i guess i'd i'd first start by describing you know what 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 do we mean when we say robotic surgery so the the largest company um, that does robotics makes a robot called the Da Vinci, and so when we mean robotics, this is this is kind of similar to when I do surgery in the operating room, which is commonly done minimally invasively with small incisions um, and instruments that are inserted through ports into the abdomen. Um, and really, you know, the robot that's on the market today just attaches to those ports, and you can insert instruments. Um, and operate in the abdomen. It allows for a better view. Um, it can op- it can allow operating in more narrow spaces. Um, and it came, when it first came out, it was used by the urologists and the um, most commonly like the 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 gyn oncologist to operate in the pelvis, and that's the place where it really shines is you know operating in a narrow space you know, maybe, uh, five years ago or, or somewhere around there, um, it it started to be adopted by the general surgeons, um, for our procedures. So I think the misconceptions are that, you know, a robot is doing this operation and it's not, it's really just facilitating, um, your surgeon who is still present in the operating room to, to do this operation. Um, and so I I think that's probably the most common misconception, um, yeah, yeah, you you're still you're you're probably you're actually not scrubbed in, uh, but you're still in the same room. Um you're doing the su- same surgery that, you know, I would do laparoscopically or or with the small incisions. Um but it's just being done uh robotically. And there are, you know, it really depends on who you ask for this about what the benefits of robotic surgery are. Um you know, if you ask the company that makes the robot, it's beneficial for for every surgery. Um, But there is some good data out there that, um, you know, may question that for certain things. And it it, kind of goes to the cost of um, procedures and, you know, the length that it's going to take to have a patient in the operating room and that sort of thing. So it's somewhat of a broad discussion about, you know, the benefits of robotic surgery. Um, but, But certainly there are you know misconceptions out there about what that what that means.
4: Okay. Then um, next time we want to talk about, and we touched base on this on um, part one of our talk with the panel. Um, but their second one we want to talk about the the portal, and I know we touched base on this a little bit. So if you guys skipped an episode, what the portal does is it makes information um, accessible to the patient and the doctor, um, so you can look at your test results um, later on down the line um, and be able to better connect with your doctor via sending them messages or or what have you. Um, so give us an example of people you wish would or think or or should use the portal?
3: I think I have a good example of this one Um, from the last week. I had a patient who came into urgent care for one problem, but also had several chronic health issues and had tests done to rule out certain diagnoses and had questions about tests that were not related to what I was seeing her for that day. She wanted to know specific numbers because of how they relate to her chronic disease process, which is managed by a specialist. And I asked her if she had my chart or my care, the Epic version of the portal. That's our healthcare um, electronic health record. And she said that she did not use that. However, I told her that in her case, somebody who has chronic diseases, who sees specialists at a variety of healthcare centers, and who is very involved in her care, I feel like she probably would have benefited from having the numbers at her fingertips and being able to reference those at any time in any place.
4: So, you touched base a little bit earlier about the people who may not have access to um, the internet. So, let's talk a little bit about how n- not having access to the internet could. I mean not I mean it could essentially negatively impact their healthcare journey. Let's touch on that a little bit.
3: So I think that South Dakota is a unique state because of our rural spread and the poor reliability of internet that we have Across our state, Um, people who don't live close to a city or town that has an internet service may not have access to the internet. And furthermore, those who are impoverished might not have access to afford internet. And so if we are adjusting our healthcare systems to really rely on internet as communication for patients, those patients may not be able to access their test results or to communicate with their providers as freely as those who are more affluent or live in a larger town. And so I think that it's important to recognize that the internet is a a privilege. It's something that is a great tool, but we can't count on it being
4: present um, to use for patients. Um so, another one I want to touch base on um and you guys are all able to chime in on this one um i'm just going to ask it point blank are you a difficult patient because you use the internet as a medical
1: tool? no um not necessarily um, so it it all depends on uh on I guess, what, uh, what you're, what you're looking for and, and, uh, and what, uh, what you're trying to interpret, um, with your, with your healthcare. Um, there's a wide variance of like personalities to, uh, all taking into account with, uh, with how you, you want your information and and that kind of thing. I, I, talked earlier about, um, sometimes I have pen pals that, that keep sending me messages and, uh, there's just a, there's just a lack of communication that can happen with texts and w- over the internet that just
2: isn't capable with uh, with interpersonal uh, connection. I think it's um, maybe a little bit different for surgery, but, you know, I'm encouraged when I have patients that come in, you know, that maybe see me for, you know, like a common surgery problem, like a hernia, and they've, you know, looked on the internet and they've seen different ways that a repair could be done, or they have different ideas about something. I think that's, that shows that they're, you know, invested in their healthcare. And and I I usually don't think of those patients as difficult. You know, they, they just have, you know, buy into their own healthcare and they're, they're more interested. And so I think that shows that they want to start a dialogue and they're they're curious about a procedure and I, I i'm i'm happy to see those people i think they um you know have had some ownership in their healthcare and it's great that they have that resource to use
3: i think that there are times as providers that we see patients who may have a preconceived notion about what's going on with them or a specific diagnosis that they want to rule out that they've researched on the internet that they can be um persistent or aggressive about and I really think that initially our knee-jerk reaction is darn internet like darn you web md for planting this this idea in their head but what it comes down to is that that's part of their personality that they may be somebody with anxiety that they may be somebody who worries about things a lot and so whether it's the internet that's planning those ideas in their head or
0: their mom's best friend's son or and again it kind of goes back to that like faulty um we all look at it and we're like oh i definitely like i have the worst thing possible or this thing on me is this mole on me is like the worst ever and i need to go get it taken off right now because it's a little bit brown a little bit big a little bit
4: um, I, I legit have a mole that does need to be looked at though for real see? real see it's mushy and it's big and it like flops around like yeah for sure
2: (laughs) you come to surgery clinic we'll just take it off that's that's an easy answer
0: so have you guys had any experiences um that i guess this kind of goes into it that um some experiences in the past where you guys can kind of fill us in on some some interesting experiences because people have done some faulty research Or was have you guys ever seen with self-diagnosis,
4: people use at-home remedies to solve things that have actually made it worse? Yeah.
0: Salt bath.
2: Yeah. um, Epsom salt. I I feel like I I not uncommonly see people that have have tried home remedies for surgical problems, Um, you know, wherever they got that information. And I think it really just does require you know, education and patience to say that, you know, maybe this probably won't hurt anything, but uh, I don't think that it's going to change this problem or it's not going to make things get better. Um, and so it, it's not, you know, it's not the patient's fault for finding some resource on the internet. I think that's the advantage that we have as having this education is that, you know, we can look on the internet and more easily sort through the information that um, that's there because you, you can, you almost have the ability to Look at a website and be like, you know, this doesn't pass the smell test. This is not a good resource. I'm I'm going to look elsewhere.
1: There's a lot of naturopathic, uh, homeopathic um, treatments out there, and and uh, what do they call it? alternative medicine that works? They just call it medicine. And so, so uh, um, ultimately, evidence based medicine is just the only legit way to go.
3: I do think that it's probably worth mentioning that there are some cultural home remedies that are important to our patients. Um, I came from La Crosse, Wisconsin, where there's a large Hmong population, and there are some cultural practices that are very important to them, for example, after childbirth. And those things, as long as they're not worsening a problem, I feel like should be welcomed. Um, however, there are certain home remedies that can make things worse, different things you can put on things. or Yeah. Essential oils that shouldn't be used at certain times. And I think that people really need to be aware of there is no perfect medicine, even if that's not in a pill
4: form.
0: Yeah. Um,
4: Something I do want to touch base on and go back to, you know, when we think of the Internet or the World Wide Web, if I'm going to be an old person and say it that way, um, <laughs> is because I, I lived in Oklahoma and I, I obviously went down to the doctors down there um, for various health things, I just automatically assume all my health records are connected and that you guys can automatically see that. And I know that's really dumb to think that, but I just think of everything being connected. Um, Can you guys touch base a little bit on the importance of having your records sent from, you know, if you moved from an old doctor to a new doctor and why that's essential to your guys's, um, your healthcare journey
0: and not that everything is connected? Yeah. I I also want to just like dab into that because I think that like the healthcare system that, um, is in our area just went to Epic and that's, it's made it more easier and it's something to do with the internet. Um, and so maybe also a part of that question is being a part of a healthcare system versus an independent where maybe you went and saw an independent physician in Oklahoma, but now you're part of a healthcare system and whether you go to urgent care or, um, the ER or to the surgery center, like you're all connected and they can see all of those continuous records.
1: Unfortunately, that's not really the case. We, uh, everyone has, everyone by now should have made, a, um, made the journey over to, um, electronic medical records. And that, and that's the way of the world these days, old records from back in the day in Oklahoma, um, should be scanned in and, uh, uh as, and you'd have to request those v- records to be sent over. Uh, they, they're not just automatic. There are some health systems that, uh, ha- maybe have Epic or a similar system that can integrate, but for the most part, everything's very fractured and, uh, in broken up, it's, it, there's no one electronic medical record. Um, vote for that. Uh, it would it would be awesome to be, to be on one medical uh, electronic medical record. It'd be so much easier for everyone, but that's not the case.
0: Especially for you, Phoebe, like where you see that so often from maybe an old practice that's still in nursing homes of like charting and and some like daily, like you're, you're looking at blood pressures and stuff, but those are uncharted records versus where they could just be on like Epic.
3: Absolutely. I do think it's very apparent to me that Electronic medical records are essential and that was a byproduct of the Obamacare legislation was to move all of our medical records into an electronic form, which is very helpful for information sharing. However, for me at the nursing home, our nursing homes use one charting system that doesn't correspond with our charting system. And there are a lot of times that I have to double chart or chart in two different systems, which is a, just a waste of time. It's, it's inefficient and it causes lost time or increased time that's needed to see patients. And I need, it requires me to have an additional person available to comb through their medical record to give me information that I need to put in mine, which is a bit antiquated and inefficient. So it would be beautiful if there was one medical record that all healthcare facilities used. Um, It just, it comes down to money and medical records, um, medical record systems are paid for. And so you have to be able to afford a system that is used by your local medical community if you wanna be able to transfer that information from one place to another. And so that
0: can be frustrating. At least people can read your notes, right? Like, doctor's handwriting is really terrible, so like, at least they can understand what you're saying now.
3: <laughs> I saw a meme at at when I went to the doctor's office, and it, it said a wise doctor once wrote and it was just a bunch of like squiggly (laughs) lines and it made me think of Wes because his handwriting is terrible and
0: so he's the reason that we need notes for this and I can't even read them
2: (laughs) that's the reason we need electronic medical records yeah I I think EMR is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me um, for me, this is, uh, this is really crucial. It's, it is so nice to have old operative notes, um, on somebody that's going back to the OR for visual surgery for something, um, because they can tell me that they had some procedure, but the specifics of that, um, in reading an old op note is, is crucial. So it's really nice to have that on our system. Um, or people
0: that lie about it, right? Like there, unfortunately, there are people that are like, "I never had that surgery." Well, but you're think, like,
3: "No, I had." I see you had that I surgery. Think, um, <laughs> I
2: think it's not lie. People, it, it's really surprising. You know, if you ask somebody what surgeries they've had, and and they don't know. um So it, if you don't have those records, you're kind of like being a detective, looking at incisions on their belly, trying to figure out Dang. what surgery they've had based on where those can't incisions even are.
4: <laughs> So something I do want to reference um, is if you have had, if you have been looked at by a doctor, say in my case in Oklahoma, it is your responsibility as the patient to have those medical records sent up. You have to give your consent. It's not the doctor's responsibility to have those sent up. It's not your nurse's responsibility to have those set up. You ultimately have to take that responsibility because it it isn't an integrated EMR system. Um, You know, so if you're like, well, just call and have my records set up. It doesn't work that way. You are the one that's giving me consent. So ultimately, it's your responsibility to do that. Um, and that
3: really, it's a legal thing that you as the patient need to allow others to have information about your health care. And that includes your providers now. If you don't want them to know that information, it's not their right to. And so you have to consent to being able to share that information.
1: As a patient, you own those records. And it's a weird legality thing. But, uh, um, ultimately, uh, if it, y- you would have to consent to requesting those records as, as BD said.
0: So that kind of runs into like prescriptions because in the past, like if they're in a different area and you don't know what they've been prescribed in the past, um, or let's say that they go online and they research X drug, I mean, specifically like, I,
4: I guess, I, yeah. That was my question. Like because, an opioid? Yeah. Well, that was my question. Well, mine's more specific to birth control, I guess. But when I was in Oklahoma, I knew what had worked for me and what didn't work. And so when I came up here, I was like, well, why don't you understand that I can't be on this? And it was because I didn't have my, my EMR sent up and consented over to my now doctor up here in South Dakota. So, um, I mean, yeah. How have people, have, have people come to you guys, done their research on certain medications and demand a certain medication to you guys when prescribing medications?
1: In in general, I uh, you know, I as far as the dynamic between me and a patient, I, I like to have a conversation and, and a one sided conversation is not a great conversation. But uh but some some ways we are limited in, in the ways that maybe um maybe that medicine isn't manufactured anymore by the drug company. Maybe they uh their prices are crazy now, um, or maybe your insurance doesn't cover it anymore. Uh there's a lot of nuance and uh and in general I'm I consider myself like a healthcare advisor and I and a healthcare navigator, and I uh, kind of interpret the system, the insurance, and uh, the interpersonal connection that we discuss in the visit.
2: I think uh, I think Dan probably prescribes a lot larger variety of drugs than I do. Um, <laughs> you know, I probably the the mo- the, <laughs> uh, the largest portion, like eighty percent of what I prescribe, is for post op pain. And so, um, you know, I have what I normally use, but it it is always a discussion between um, patients. If they have something that they know has worked for them in the past, then, you know, I'm not one to say, well, we have to do something different. Um, I think we we can have a whole different conversation about drug seeking and um, opioid abuse, but we have really good tools now to try to avoid that. You know, that kind of brings up, um, prescription drug monitoring and the PDMP, um, with the way that the, the um, internet has changed our care. So that's just like an online registry of all the prescriptions or all the controlled substances prescriptions that you've had in the past, um, regardless of state. Um, that that's all in one location. And so if you know a patient has had you know ten different narcotic prescriptions from eight different providers over the course of six months, that can set off red flags that hey, you know maybe I should use non-narcotic pain meds for this person, or maybe we should have a discussion about uh, abuse.
0: Or if they have a pain contract, let's say with Dan, you're gonna be able to see that in the new EMR systems and, and be able to correlate the two between them. You guys have that cohesive.
2: Right, absolutely.
1: So yeah, the EMR can correlate that amongst either of us, um, but uh, but yeah, the PDMP uh, is, is great nationally and inter- interstate.
0: So, uh, talking about Wes, we just had you on, kind of talking about um, narcotics and kind of that follow up process. Can you kind of talk about a little bit of the importance of follow up instead of just going to the internet and being like, "I think I'm healed," um, or or do any of you guys have an you know a topic about the importance of follow up instead of just going on the internet and being like, "I think I'm fine."
2: Yeah, um, you know, we we follow our patients, our post surgical patients, until you know, they're, they are better and we, we've released them from surgery clinic. Um, and I, I love to see those people back. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to hear when people are doing well, but we all, always want to hear when people aren't. Um, and so I, I think th- there is a huge importance of, of follow-up even in a, even in a surgery clinic where I'm not the pa- person that's following those patients long-term. Um, I think the the Internet or the the MyChart or our portal facilitates that, too, because if if people have problems that they're not sure if they're urgent or not, you know, they can say, hey, I've got I've got this problem or, you know, my my incision may look weird and they can send a picture in. Um, And so that's really changed, um, I think, the clinic load of those patients having to come in and get that question answered or calling in and, you know, needing that question answered. And it can be a lot more efficient.
3: I heard recently some information about um, younger, the younger generations and their reliance on technology and how it has deterred them from using a primary care provider. And so I think that it's important to mention that the primary pro- care provider is not just the gatekeeper to the specialties, but they're also your go-to person to make sure that you're getting the screening things you need. And it's It's not just about whether you're healed. It's part of medicine is also preventing disease. Mm -hmm. So, being able to catch things early and being able to advise you on different things that you could be doing to change the risk factors that you have control over to prevent disease in the future. And that's why it's really important to follow up and have your go to person, that primary care provider, to make sure that that your needs are met, not just when you have a problem, but also to keep a problem from occurring.
0: Yeah, I like that. I want to go back to the one question, and then we'll move on. Um, Why have you, Phoebe, Um, is really about when we were talking about when people come in and demand drugs. You work in the urgent care, and I feel like a lot of people come in and demand, um, like, antibiotics or something for their cold. And I grew up kind of the old-school way where I honestly – definitely didn't see a doctor until like my parents were like you have to go on birth control like i'm just being very vulnerable here like they did not take me to the doctor to have a cold when i had a cold or the flu or whatever they were just like rerun you your cycle you get through it and so that's definitely like my core belief i'm still here i'm alive <laughs> um so i can't comprehend Personally, like when people are constantly going to the urgent care when they have just a general cold or a sickness, um, can you kind of talk a little bit and this isn't necessarily about the Internet, but it definitely like you said in the previous episode about how like you were you had a cold, you went through all of your symptoms and it told you you had aids. (laughs) (laughs) aids. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: something to add to this. I feel like the internet has, it's one of two things to you has either made you hypersensitive to illnesses and diseases, um, or it's numbed you to the fact that you need to go to the doctor at all. Um, right. so I do feel like it's done two very drastic things to
0: our, to our healthcare system. So I am interested to hear what your feedback is on that. Yeah. On, on just general and Dan, you can talk about this as well, but definitely about just the overuse. And, and I feel like it's definitely come from the internet of the overuse of um, prescription antibiotics.
3: Yeah. So antibiotic stewardship is a really important topic in our time because drug companies are working to develop medications that make them money. And medications that make them money are ones that people are going to use for the rest of their lives. Antibiotics are usually used for a short period of time. And so they don't necessarily get the same attention from drug companies in research and development as other medications might. And so we only have the tools that have been developed for us. And In some cases, we don't necessarily have unlimited antibiotics. And the more antibiotics we throw at people, the more that can contribute to antibiotic-resistant organisms. So there's a reason that we steer away from antibiotics for illnesses that aren't cured by antibiotics. So the majority of things I see in urgent care are viral illnesses, people that have colds, people that have something that's caused by a virus, that's not going to be killed by an antibiotic. Antibiotics only kill bacteria. Um, but they've read on the internet that if they've been sick for this long that they need to have an antibiotic or that, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry had an antibiotic and they got better. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you do get better after you have an antibiotic, but that's not because of the antibiotics. It's because time has passed. And so that perpetuates that idea that an antibiotic cured you. And um, antibiotics aren't, Perfect medicines, they cause side effects. There's information out there that the effect of antibiotics on your gastrointestinal tract, your digestive system, can last for years after one week course of antibiotics. So it's not a perfect medicine, and it's interesting when people demand it. I do think that there are times where it's warranted, and there's times where being an advocate for yourself is important and saying, I've been sick too long, there's something else going on. But I I also think that the Internet can lead into the misconception that an antibiotic solves everything. For example, AIDS. AIDS is not cured by an
0: antibiotic. Well, you have it because you have a cold, right? Thank you, FMD.
1: But if your AIDS advances enough, you should probably get on an antibiotic if your CD4 level drops below twenty two hundred and fifty. <laughs>
0: Mike drop. Mic drop. <laughs>
4: Well, this has been a wonderful conversation and it's been real intense. Yeah. So I think we should like mix it up a little bit. We're going to mix it up and have a little bit of light conversation. And we're going to get to know our doctors on our panel a little bit more. It's our hope that we have them back for
0: more fun conversations. So you guys can write in and so you can be a little bit like easy on them for this. So like you can tell us that you're real humans. On oh, this yeah. Part. So we have one last question. Well, maybe two. we have several last questions here. Okay. Very so, fun. And light. Um, I, my question, and then you can go to your question. What's your question? what TV shows do you guys like? So, I'll be honest. My favorite is Botched because I'm like, I'm never getting plastic surgery <laughs> ever, like <laughs> ever, 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 ever. Or ever. Grey's Anatomy is like when they're like, I need
4: 10 cc stat. Is it really yeah, what they CC would use stats? in real life? <laughs> uh,
2: absolutely not. So, um, I I don't know what Dan's gonna say, but I think the most accurate medical show ever made is probably scrubs uh because it, it shows the humanity in medicine and that so we
0: can play the scrub song here can you do it
2: i can't do it now. Oh, dang it it's been too long out the door just in time head down the 405 gotta meet the new boss by 8 but no it shows the humanity in medicine and that we're people too and that um you know that medicine is a is a two way street, and a conversation between doctors and their patients. Um, there's not and always. And you like
0: board games and wine and beer and all of the good things in life, too. Yeah. So you're still human. Right.
2: Um, <laughs> I live with one. But no, there's there's not always the drama. There's there's more of a, more of the adventure of Scrubs.
1: As far as medical shows, there there isn't hardly anything that's terribly accurate. Watched <laughs>
0: <I'm darn laughs> is accurate. Come on, I watch this all the time.
1: <laughs> well. Uh, Botched, botched is somewhat accurate because it's kind of documentary style. Um, anything that's documentary style is going to be a, lot, a little better, but anything that's dramatized is no. It's, you know, like I think uh, as, as far as um, someone analyzed how how often people came back to life after they did uh, CPR, it was like 75% of the time. In, real, in all actuality, it's like 8% of the time actually people come back I'm even maybe even less than that
0: <laughs> so we're taking the phone the microphone from Dan, and we're going to Phoebe because, let's be honest, she likes the Dr. Pimple Popper.
4: Oh, yes, yes.
3: I love Dr. Pimple Popper I, too. I Is it a show? but yeah. that's also part of my personality before I was ever
0: involved in the medical field, I was a picker, I was a popper. But sometimes, let's be honest, like it brings people into the industry because they're like, oh, I want to do that for a living. Yeah. So let me ask this. For those of you who don't know, Wes and Phoebe
4: are a couple. They're a power force. They're both two walking brains. They're amazing. So um, do you ever pick and poke and scratch on Wes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of our bedtime routine.
3: (laughs) If I see something. Okay. Stop by her head.
1: <laughs> it's just grooming like gorillas. It's like it is.
3: Oh it God. is. Gorillas groom each other. I just want to make sure that. I,
2: I would add that uh, I do not consent to that the majority of the time. And that. <laughs> this is abuse. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this could be abuse.
0: <laughs> okay. My next question. Um, what kind of uh, PDs
4: is. Oh yes, Yeah. My question is what um, as uh, as walking brains and doctors and amazing people as you are and educated professionals, what YouTube channels do you guys like? What social media outlets do you guys like or find pleasure in um, that you can like appreciate other doctors like work and what they do besides Dr. Pimple Popper? Because let's be real, I love watching her sis popping.
3: So there's a couple different things that I love. One of them is a Facebook group called Slow Medicine. And that Fits into my geriatric hat and palliative care hat. It really talks about um, medicine at the end of life, and it's not just used by people that are medical professionals, but also by family members who have questions. It's just an online community on Facebook. But
0: and you also have l- like listened or read the book when breath becomes air. Yeah, like there's some really good books in the geriatric yeah. world too.
3: When breath becomes air by Paul Colen killin neathy i'm gonna butchering his name He is a neurosurgeon who ended up with a cancer um lung cancer which is terrible um it's a wonderful read and being mortal by atul gawande is also a wonderful read so there's there's books out there there's information out there but i really like z dog md
1: i'm a youtube consumer and and that's where i watch my pimple popper and uh, z dog md um Z Dog MD is a he's a hospitalist. He's really funny. He graduated from uh, I, I believe UCSF.
0: Petey and, and I are like let's sponsor. Let's get sponsored by Z Dog. <laughs> Z Dog MD.
1: He has lots of great ideas on how to save medicine and uh, healthcare 3.0, as he says. And and he's got a a following of people that he calls the Z Pack. And I and I consider myself a Z Packer.
3: And I think it really gives a a voice to the dilemmas that present as being part of the medical field. We're humans too, and there are times where what we did at work today didn't feel awesome. When somebody presented a problem that we couldn't solve, that's hard. And so it gives a voice to the the human side of trying to provide that care.
0: Yeah, because I think sometimes you see somebody that had like literally just got diagnosed with cancer and the next person is having their firstborn child. Like I, I think it's as real as that. So yeah, Wes, what do you got?
2: Um, I I really like YouTube. Um, A lot of our professional societies, you know, Sages um, puts out a lot of great videos um, on YouTube. And so it's really interesting to see, you know, maybe somebody does something differently than me, or um, there's a new procedure, maybe there's a new technique. Um, and it's an interesting place to kind of get the first exposure to those things and then learn through our professional societies. But it's, um, it's a really nice forum to, you know, for surgeons who are visual to see.
0: Do you have anything else PD? No, I just am so happy that they I love know. Dr. Pimple Popper
4: as much as I do. Um, but I think this would be an important time to say thank you for coming on. Thank you yeah, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we so appreciate you guys. And I'm sure we'll have lots of great feedback. And I'm sure we'll have lots of questions from people trying to ask you guys self-diagnosis questions.
0: So maybe we'll have you like go live sometime on our Instagrams <laughs> and take some live ones if that's not scary or what
4: yeah (laughs) we
0: want to thank you all for um, listening today
4: and we want to prepare you for march's theme it will be sharing versus oversharing and when to tell your audience or customers authentic content and when it's bad to overshare so we want to say thank you follow us on facebook instagram twitter Um, interact with us and email us at hello at slightlybalance.com. and we want to say a special thank you to all of our doctors on our panel today
0: yeah and follow us on facebook twitter
4: Instagram, Instagram. <laughs> and next mate, time. review us. Cause this one was awesome. Oh yes. This was awesome. Thank Kay. you guys. Thanks. Bye.
1: Blue Spruce coffee truck is a mobile coffee delivery service available for daily deliveries, as well as weddings, church functions, and sporting events. Visit us on Facebook to see how we can be a part of your next event. The Barn at Aspen Acres is a simplistic, modern, farmhouse style wedding and event center that is now booking for 2020 and 2021. To learn more and book your event, visit www.blackhillsbarn.com.